Hello friends, welcome to the Keep Singing Podcast, the, what I'm calling the Rambling Dead edition. I'm not the most creative person in the world, believe it or not. I'm a writer, I know, but sometimes, you know, I'm just, when it comes to naming things, when it comes to titles, I'm just super fucking lazy, so that's what I'm calling this. (laughs) I'm also kind of like I did with the recaps this past season, not doing this super professionally. It's beautiful out, the windows are open, you might hear some yard work, you might hear some birds. I'm not going to try and cultivate a studio atmosphere because, again, it's just so fucking nice out. I'm so tired of everything being closed. I also have tea. I'm thinking I might make tea kind of a staple of this too. Today I'm drinking orange spice with uh, some honey and we'll see what I'm drinking next week. I I like tea a lot and I'm thinking for the purposes of this I might actually start switching stuff up a bit, not just sticking to my usual English breakfast. But anyway, so let's go ahead and talk a little bit about what this is. As you may know, if you're listening to this, as you probably know, I was doing weekly recaps of this past season of The Walking Dead. I used to do written recaps, and then I decided writing stuff down was just... I don't know. It, it, I, recording stuff is difficult in different ways, and I just kind of wanted to take on that difficulty rather than trying to write out all my thoughts right afterwards. So I started doing that. And then I got toward the end of the season, and I was like, fuck, what am I going to do? So I asked around, and some people were like, well, why don't you just watch the whole show from the beginning? And I was like, that seems reasonable. I'll do that. So that's what I'm doing. Uh, this... Probably those of you who are listening to this have known me through the fandom for a long time. None of, none of my approaches, none of my opinions are going to come as a surprise to you. But just on the off chance that you are coming to me for the first time in this particular context, a couple things I just want you to know before we get into it. First of all, I ship Beth and Daryl. Pretty hardcore. So uh, when that starts to become a factor on the show... I'm going to start talking about that here. Keep Singing is ostensibly a Bethel podcast. That is not going to be the focus of this particular series, but it is going to come up. I mean, it, it kind of can't not. So that's going to happen. And the other thing that, that you should know about me, if you don't already know, and, and this, is a, this is a little bit of a weird thing to mention in mixed company, but, you know, it is just a truth about how I approach this show. I personally don't 100% believe that Beth Green is dead. Now, why do you give a shit, you might ask? Well, aside from the fact that I happen to ship her with a character on the show who is currently still alive, uh... There's a, there's a lot of reasons. There's a lot of reasons why I, I really prefer a world in which Beth Green is not dead and think that world makes a lot more sense. And I don't know. I've, I've believed it for three years and I'm, I'm kind of just like, I kind of want to stick with it just in case I end up being right because that'd be really fucking rad. It would kind of be like, you know, a fan of a losing sports team that just keeps losing and losing and losing and everybody starts to feel real sorry for them and wonder why they stick with it. And then they win and maybe it took half a fucking century, but they got it and it feels amazing. I'm a Philadelphia sports fan. This is a feeling that I actually kind of know. Um, so yeah, that, that's why. Uh, that's, that is also not going to be the focus of this. I mean, Beth doesn't even really show up in a big way till season four. Clearly, we're not going to get to that for a while anyway. But you know, it's, um, it's probably going to come up. So yeah, two things to know about me. If you're coming into this without knowing a whole lot about me in this fandom context, I'm a shipper. I'm not quiet about the fact that I'm a shipper. I have a lot of feelings about it. And also, I'm a nutty conspiracy theorist who doesn't believe that a character who's ostensibly been dead for three years is actually dead. 
Not totally. Don't totally buy it. Okay, with all that being said, let's get into the show premiere. The Walking Dead Season 1, Episode 1, Days Gone By. So let's load up on some tea before I get into that. Ah, wow, it's hot. I was not ready for that to be that hot. Okay, so a number of things jumped out at me uh, when I watched this, this time around. Now, I've, I've seen, I think I, I haven't done like a full start to where we are currently now rewatch of this show ever, but I've watched, I've watched seasons of it multiple times. And I think I've seen this episode, I think I've seen this episode uh, four or five times now. And this was, this was either my fourth or my fifth time through. And it's so, it's so interesting going to, knowing what I know now at the end of season eight, going back to what this show was at its inception and, and kind of just getting a sense of, of how far it's come since then. I mean, that's one of the reasons why I wanted to do this. It's we've, you know, it's been eight seasons. A show is going to change a lot in eight seasons through the writers, through the showrunners, through the different actors, through, through, through so many things. It's just going to, it's going to be dramatically different in a lot of ways. And one of the things that struck me really hard right off was that this in many ways feels like a different show. And it's not that it's not recognizable as The Walking Dead. I mean, the characters are the same, essentially. The universe is essentially the same. The logic is... Well, we'll talk a little bit about the world building in a minute, because I noticed some stuff that I think doesn't... It's not that it's inconsistent. I think it actually might be consistent in some really suggestive ways. But... Yeah, there, there's some there's some aspects of how the world itself seems to function that feel different, but probably the first the first thing that really jumped out at me as feeling very different, and I, I think that some of this is just that it's a different showrunner, but I think some of it is is where it is in it in the story itself. It first of all, it is much more effective horror. I've said before that I honestly don't really consider The Walking Dead to be horror. And I don't, as it currently exists. In its, in, its, in its incarnation as of right now, I don't consider it horror. Uh, it's, I think it is a character drama with horror packaging. You know, you have, you have zombies and you have gross-out moments and you have a lot of violence. But uh, in, in terms of its emotional aesthetic, I guess is how you would probably want to put it, it does not feel like horror to me. Uh, it just doesn't. But this feels like horror. It feels a lot like 28 Days Later, which is uh, one of my favorite zombie movies. I actually have not seen it many times, but when I think about zombie movies that really freaked me out, uh, 28 Days Later is one I come back to a lot. And, I mean, just, just on its face, it's very similar to 28 Days Later. You, you know, you're, you're perceiving the world, you're perceiving the post-zombie apocalypse world through the eyes of somebody who has missed the, in many ways, most eventful parts of that world coming into being. And he's waking up in a coma after a lot of the more exciting stuff's already happened, and then he has to kind of pick up the pieces from there. That's a very effective way to introduce somebody to an, a world in which the rules have changed, because you have to learn with that character. It's, it's, it's something that, as somebody who's, you know, written a lot of science fiction and fantasy, something that I've kind of noticed is that if you're taking a character who already doesn't know very much and you toss them in, you end up having to do a lot less info dumping in a lot of ways because you learn with that character. Whereas if you're jumping right into a world where all the characters know everything, it can be a little trickier in some ways to get across the information to the, to the audience in a way that doesn't feel clunky. So it doesn't surprise me that Kirkman... I don't actually rem... I think that, that Walking Dead 
is post 28 Days Later. My grasp of time is not great. But it seems to me that that, that walk, it, it seems to me that 28 Days Later precedes The Walking Dead. It doesn't, I'm not saying Kirkman stole from it. Very possibly he did. He's not a very good writer. But it, not that stealing necessarily means you're not a good writer. Lots of people steal. Anyway, 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 anyway. Uh, it, it doesn't surprise me that Kirkman used this device because it does make a lot of things easier. It's, I don't want to say that it's a crutch. It's one that I've used, but it, it does... There are a lot of reasons why it's an effective device. And I think it's very effective here. It's, it's especially effective, I think, in some ways because it doesn't jump right into that. You, you, you get how, chronologically how it starts to tell its story is very interesting because, you know, the cold open is Rick shooting the little girl, which is a very effective scene. Um, that, that's, it's, it's paced very well. I, I remember being very struck by how quiet it is. Like, there's really no music. There's, there's really no sound at all except for footsteps and birdsong. And then, you know, you, the second you see her, you know something's wrong. I mean, it's, it's very, very obvious very quickly. Rick is, you know, little girl, little girl. And you're like, you fucking dumbass. How can you not immediately see that this is a problem? Especially knowing what he knows by that point. But it's, it's still, it's very, very effective. It's a really well done scene. And, you know, then you kind of, you flash back to Rick with Shane in the car, and then, you know, you have the car chase, and then Rick gets shot, and then he wakes up in the hospital, and from there the story really proceeds forward. And I, I, I think that that was just, that was a really effective way of bringing somebody into this particular narrative. Um, I, I came to the show after I had already read a big chunk of the comics, and I remember just being struck by how well I thought that worked. And I think that it, that holds up really well. I think it works very well, you know, after having seen it a bunch of times and coming back to it after a long time. And the thing that we miss a lot of it, again, because, because Rick is in his coma, but the thing that, that really struck me hard about the first half of the episode is the degree to which it reminds me of The Stand. And... That's, that might seem on its, on its face like a little bit of a strange connection to draw because one of the things about the stand that's so effective in terms of horror is that it really does take you through the fall of human civilization in a, in a deep way. It's been a very long time since I read the stand start to finish, but the first third of that book absolutely haunts me. Uh, it's, it's one of the... I remember... I, I don't remember how old I was when I read it. I think that I was in high school. I think I was... I was, or it was, I was young in high school. And I remember that it was one of those books where you don't want to keep reading, but it, you just can't put it down. It's absolutely riveting. And the thing about it that was so riveting to me was the feeling of everything just going completely off the rails. Just just the, the sense of, of just avalanching chaos and madness. And the, that that is what, whenever I think about you know, whenever I think about a global pandemic or whenever I think about, you know, nuclear, a really bad nuclear strike very close to where I live. And I live near D.C., so this is actually something that I, I think about more than I think I might if I lived in, like, fucking West Virginia or something. Um, it's, this, is the, this is the thing that actually probably frightens me the most is, is the feeling of, of utter rural suspension, of, of everything that you assume about how your day is going to proceed when you get up in the morning everything about that's just broken and rick wakes up into this world where that has happened and he did not see that process but the 
the, the gradual revelation to him of how absolutely horribly everything has gone wrong in every conceivable respect, right down to where we have to rethink what death even means because death is no longer final. Death itself is now a hazard. You know, normally when, you know, you have an adversary and they die, that's it. That's good. That's what you wanted. That's the end of the that's the end of the problem. But here it's just the beginning. And in fact, friends who die are now your adversary. And that's a very, very frightening thing. And it's it's a fear that is very understated in a lot of ways, I think, at the beginning of this show. That was one of the other things that struck me, and I think it's one of the things that makes the horror so effective. This show is very understated at this point. It's not very big on spectacle. Probably the, the biggest moment of spectacle, of true spectacle, is uh, the very end with the herd and the tank in Atlanta. Um, and, and, you know, then there's also that iconic shot of Rick riding into Atlanta on the horse. But this, it's really low on spectacle. And I, it, it's, it's a very, it feels very intimate and it feels very close. It's a very psychological kind of horror even though there's also a lot of gore and it just I think that works really well or at least it's it, it works really well on me it pushes my buttons in some really effective ways and that's something that the show just doesn't do anymore and a lot of it is that it can't I mean you can't tell a, a story that that does a horror in that kind of intimate way as many years in as we are now into the, these characters' experience of the world, because what these characters would have considered horrifying very early on is no longer remarkable to them. You know, walkers are just now a facet of life. They're just part of how you... They're an environmental threat like any other environmental threat. They're very threatening, but nobody nobody's horrified by death anymore. Nobody's grossed out by death anymore. It's just It's just another part of your day. But at this point, all of this is still very horrifying. You know, th things like things like Rick, and this is another image that has just absolutely stuck with me. Because, again, it's a lot of it is kind of like the stand, uh, where Rick walks out of the hospital into, you know, kind of the back lot, and there's just nothing but stacks of bodies. And you can't see their faces, most of them. And I think I, I can't pin down exactly why that's so effective, too, but it really is. That is not a spectacular image by the current standards of the show, but it is one of the more gripping images I think the show's ever come up with. And yeah, that just that just that hit me so hard that that this episode frightens me and disturbs me. And the show really does not do that to me anymore. And I really want to stress that I don't think that's a bad thing. I don't. I mean, I think I again, I think that there's really, it would be very, very difficult to avoid that when you're as far into a story like this as you are. Uh, one of the reasons why I've been very resistant to the idea of a cure plot from a lot of coroners of the Team Defiance slash team, de team Delusional, the people who don't think Beth is dead community, some people think that Beth is going to be alive and end up being like a cure for the zombie virus. And I'm like, that's fucking stupid. No, that's, you know, arguably all of this is stupid, but that's especially stupid because... Walkers are not the point of this show. Arguably, they've never been the point of the show, but if, if they were ever close to being the point, it was in season one. 
And when the CDC got blown up, I'm getting ahead of myself here, but when the CDC got blown up, that pretty much stopped being the case. But walkers are not the point. Walkers are just an environmental threat. The point is other people. And once you really move into that territory where the walkers are just any other feature of the environment, pretty much, uh, you can no longer tell this kind of horror story. And I kind of already felt like that, I think. But it was interesting watching episode one and being brought face to face with that in a way that I hadn't been in a while. Yeah, yeah, it's just, just, it's just really effective horror. Um, an, another image that, I mean, th this is this is another thing that I just don't think we really, we don't see it very much. We did see it some this past season when Dr. Carson and Gabriel uh, end up in that radio station house place thing, and they find the guy who's killed himself, the radio operator who ended up killing himself. You know, and, and you when you find these very poignant moments of somebody giving up, um, opting out, as, as Daryl would say, again, personally for me, those moments are very emotionally effective. They're, they're horrifying and they're terribly sad. And you don't really get so much of those anymore. But I think you were, they were coming pretty frequently in the first season, two seasons. And one of the images in this particular episode that also really sticks with me is, is where Rick finds the horse, you know, and he, he, he looks in through the window through this house that he thinks at first might be occupied. Of course, we all watching, we all know it's not. But, you know, then we see that it's, you know, a couple who've killed themselves. And, okay, quick sidebar. Why, in moments of extreme duress, do people take time to scrawl things on walls? I have never understood this. Hang on, tea, and I'll rant more about that. There's a reason why I'm calling this the rambling dead, you guys. Why do people scrawl shit on walls? Like, I, when I, in, in both of the Dead Space games I've played, which I like very much, I haven't played three, but I've played one and two and many times, and people take time in the middle of killing themselves and each other to scrawl demonic runes in blood on the walls. And it's like, that doesn't take, like, two seconds. You have to set aside some time to really do that. And and who who is your anticipated audience for this scrawling? Like, what? What? Do people actually do this? Because I really don't think that they do. Anyway, I don't know why they would take time to write God forgive us in blood on the wall behind them before they kill themselves. Anyway, it, it's effective visually, but part of me just kind of goes, I don't think so. Regardless, that scene is really effective for me. It, it's, it's, it's the horror and it's also the sadness. It's, it's, it's imagining what it what it was like for those people in the moments that led them up to the point where that decision made sense to them you know what 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 it what is it like in the moments where you realize that that is probably the best ending for you it's it's something i always think about whenever i'm seeing anything like that in any medium and it's yeah it's i i don't remember any specifics from the from the stand where that happens but i know that it does and i i don't remember you know i don't remember again those specific moments but i do remember how they made me feel and they fucked me up a lot. So yeah, that's that that's that's something else that, that this episode and it seems to me from what I can remember, we'll see as I go through it, but it seems to me from what I can remember that the rest of the first season does really well is not just to put its finger on the horror and the intimacy of that horror, but as part of the intimacy also the tragedy and the sadness of what's happened. Because it really is terribly sad and we've kind of that's another thing we've kind of lost.
uh, as as the show has gone on, where you know where Rick Rick finds the you know the walker in really bad shape, who's not walking anymore. They're just crawling by the bike, and you know he, before he puts her down, he says, "I'm sorry, this happened to you." Nobody does that anymore. Nobody. Uh, nobody regards the walkers as not obviously they're not people at the time, but nobody even. You know, like, again, jumping way ahead to that beautiful scene in the basement in the funeral home and alone where Beth is like, you know, somebody remembered that these were people and wanted them to have a funeral. And the the show itself has not forgotten that, I think. It's not that the show just kind of is neglecting it along with the people in as part of the story. I think the show is conscious of the fact that the people themselves are neglecting it because you just, you become callous to these things. But at this point, that's not the case. At this point, it's all still very fresh and it's very raw. And yeah, it's, it's a real gut punch of an episode. It's a very, very strong opening. Uh, if I, I, I came to the show after, I, I think I came to the show End of third season, beginning of fourth season is when I started watching it live. Sometime in fourth season, I think, is when I started watching it live. And I binged, like, the first three seasons on Netflix. And I, so I, I, I was not watching the premiere when it first was broadcast, but I think that if I had been, I would have been pretty hooked. Uh, it's just, it's, it's really good. More tea and I'll move on to the next thing. Okay, so gender. This is something that, that somebody asked me to comment on before I actually even started watching. Uh, like, like last week, somebody was like, you know, you might want to keep an eye on this as you go through because it's just, I seem to remember that there was some interesting stuff and they were right. Um, this, this, this show has always been kind of problematic regarding race and gender. I don't think that that's surprising. I think that that's kind of hard to avoid. I think for, if, if you're going to have a lot of white guys writing something, that's just going to happen. But this, the problems that this show has with, the fuck was that? Okay, I'm gonna assume that a ca catastrophe did not just. I, th okay, no, I, th I think, I think we're good. Whatever that is, I think we're fine. All right, uh, hello, I'm still here. Um, the the problems that this show has with gender, I think, are at their worst in the first two seasons, and right off, we're getting into some issues with gender, and I, I don't think that there are issues with gender that the show itself is aware of, you know, per se. I think that the show isn't necessarily commenting on gender issues. The show just has gender issues, which is not ideal. You know, more tea. So immediately, pretty much, you're, you're jumping right into the scene with Rick and Shane in the police car. And Shane is saying some misogynist ass stuff. <laughs> okay, like, I, is the thing with women not turning off lights like a thing? Is that even a stereotype? Because I, I don't know. Like, I think this, this might be one of the only places I've ever even encountered that. I don't even know how you forget to turn off a light. I just, I, I, don't, I don't get that at all. But anyway, you know, Shane is, Shane is complaining about that. And Shane is not likable. I, I like Shane more than I did back when I first watched the show for the first time. But I think that I like Shane not like as a person, but I like him as a character, and especially I like him as a tragic character. But he's a, he's a dick. He is just he is just a bad fucking person. And it comes out, I think, pretty early. Not, not that he's a bad person. Shane is what Morgan would term a weak person. He's not a 
bad person in the sense that somebody like Negan is a bad person, but people, uh, people's true colors tend to come out in situations of adversity, and Shane is a jerk, and when he is faced with adversity, his jerkish qualities are magnified into real badness, and that's what happens in season two, I think. He, he just, you know, all his weaknesses are amplified and all his strengths kind of disappear under the weaknesses. But, but here he's just a jerk. And, you know, you kind of, I like Rick, but on the other hand, I'm like, Rick just, Rick clearly has some problems too. And with women. And that you, you don't really get a sense of Laurie's side of this until much later. And, and you, you don't, this is actually, I think, one of the things that's at the core of the problem for this, at least in the first season. There are no women at all in the first half of this episode. I think maybe even, no, it's more like the first two thirds of the episode. There's no women. And when they appear, um, they're barely there. And Lori is not written in a very attractive light when she does show up. She's, she's portrayed as kind of shrewish. And then Shane is incredibly condescending to her. And, and is, that is not really presented, I think, as a problem. And yeah, it's just, there's no women. There, there are no women early on in this show. There's Rick, there's Shane, there's Morgan, and there's Duane. And the women that you see are dead or they're walkers or they're just referred to in the past tense. That's it. And I think that that's a problem. And I think that it's, it's, a, it's a symptom of a deeper problem more than it is the problem in and of itself. But it really jumped out at me how Y chromosome heavy this, this show is right from the start. That matches what I remember of the comics. Uh, I, I actually haven't read the comics in a really long time and I'm not inclined to reread them, but uh, did, I remember that the comics have very serious problems of gender too, that this show actually in some respects avoids. But yeah, it's, it's, I think it's really worth remarking on that the most important relationships portrayed are relationships between men and other men and fathers and sons. And I don't want to put those relationships down at all. They're very important, but um, yeah, the, the, all the focus is there and that's strange. It's, it's, not just, it's not just remarkable in the sense of being problematic, but it's remarkable to, to, for me in, in the sense of being weird. Now, I think some of this might actually be Frank Darabont. Uh, it's, I, I like, I should say, I like Frank Darabont very much. Uh, one of my favorite movies of all time is The Shawshank Redemption. I mean, I, I don't think anybody can argue it's one of the best movies ever made. It's, it's, it's a fucking amazing movie. It's based on an amazing story. I'm a big Stephen King fan anyway. And yeah, but, but that movie's very male. That movie's all about male relationships. There's no women in that movie, pretty much. Um, the, I think the same is true in many ways of The Green Mile. And, and you know, again, and that's, a, that's a Stephen King story. And this is some of this is actually kind of also Stephen King, uh, but yeah, the you know there's there's the Green Mile, and then there's the Mist, and there's there's women in the Mist, but you know it's it's still it feels kind of the same to me in the sense of the women are not being written in the most attractive light. So I think that some of this may just be Frank Darabont, but I, I I'm, again I'm not a hundred percent sure where the most of the responsibility for this particular weakness lies. In any case, the the person who called my attention to this is absolutely right. From the get-go, there is a gender problem on this show. There is also a race problem on this show. It's not 
at this point as pronounced as it becomes because they haven't yet started killing all the black men. Uh, but it's a very white show. Again, not surprising, I think. Most, you know, most TV shows are too white. Uh, that's less of a problem than it used to be, clearly, but it is still a pretty big problem. And, you know, for a show set in fucking Georgia, for a show set in the Atlanta metro area, uh, this is a very white show. It, all, of the, all of the focus is on white people. All the focus is on white men. And, you know, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna rip, I'm not gonna rip up the show for that. But I do want to point it out as a thing. And I, from what I remember about how the first season proceeds, and the second, and then the third, and pretty much on into the eighth, that continues to be um, a thing on this show. And again, I, I don't know what to what degree that's a Frank Darabont thing, but it, uh, it's a thing. All right, more, more, more tea, and I'll, I'll uh, get to the, the next thing I noticed. So I just I, I just need to say, and this is this is something that I shoot back at people who um, say that it's it's impossible for Beth to survive because it's not realistic to survive a gunshot wound to the head. Um, yeah, it, it is actually. There's a significantly non-zero chance to survive a gunshot wound to the head. It happens not all the time, but it's not you know, <laughs> it happens more than you might think it happens. Um, but there is no fucking way Rick should be alive if we want to talk about realism. No way. He should be so dead. Uh, he should have died of dehydration in like a couple of days. And he's alive like a, a month after the fa I've never been entirely clear on how time works on the show. It often seems to me to be a bit fuzzy and I don't really care to go check the timeline on the wiki right now. But, but he has survived without, you know, somebody coming in and changing his IV and, and feeding him. He has survived far longer than he should have. He has no noticeable bed sores. It's, it's it, you know, he's got no noticeable infections. It's just, there's no way. There is no way this guy should be alive. So right from the start, we're proceeding from a completely impossible place. Now, again, I, I don't want to necessarily fault the show for that. I, I'm kind of very willing to just go with that. Uh, it's, it's part of the trope. And it's also just, yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm okay. I'm okay with overlooking something like that. Among other things, this is a TV show about zombies. It's not going to be super long on realism anyway. But yeah, in realistic terms, Rick shouldn't even be there. So that's, uh, yeah, that's something that always kind of, kind of makes me smile a bit. Uh, real quick, the horse. Um, it's, I, I don't know if you noticed, but you really do not want to be a horse on this show. Like every time a horse appears, that horse is doomed. Every time it, it, you know, I, I don't know what happened to the horses at the prison. You know, the ones Michonne rode around. I think maybe, maybe they got away. Regardless, uh, horses don't do well on this show. They, they just never. And you know, it, it, I kind of had the feeling that they, when they introduced that, in fact, you know, that's from the comics, I think. So I knew that horse was doomed the second they introduced him, but. Yeah, that was sad. Especially because the scene where Rick makes friends with them is so sweet. I, I don't know, it's just... Those kind, of, those kind of bittersweet moments in the middle of horror is something that I think Darabont does pretty well. It's... I like... I, I, again, for all the weakness that I think that he brings to this show, there are so many Darabont touches that I really enjoy just because I like a lot of what he does. And they do feel very different from uh, the Mazera era, from the Gimple era. I'm assuming from what the Kang era will feel like. Yeah, it's 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 just it. It's another point of subtle difference that I think I would have a hard time nailing down exactly what it is. 
but I just noticed that it's different. Um, I, I mentioned something about the world building. And this is, this is something that I'm going to come back to as I proceed through this rewatch. So I, I want to flag it. Um, I saw a few months ago, there's this, uh, there's this video series on YouTube by, I think, the by film theorists. And that, that's like the film theorists. I think that's the name of the, the people who do the, do the videos. Um, it, it's just a series of films called Film Theory. And I think, again, I could be getting this completely wrong and I'm not checking. But it was, um, it, it was an episode of that where the guy uh, explained what he believed the timeline for the end of The Walking Dead would be. And I don't agree with him that this is a guide for the timeline for the end of the show. I, I, I just don't see that happening. But I do agree with him that, that he's, he is on to something here. And it is the rate at which walkers degrade because they are rotting as the show proceeds. If you look at walkers in season one, and then you go back and you look at walkers in season eight, walkers in season eight are falling apart like they are really they are in late stage decay or at least in late stages of the part of decay where you still actually have flesh on bones and there is something to like be rotting walkers in season one are relatively fresh most of them like a, a few of them are not doing well like the walker you know near the bike crawling around but but a lot of walkers although you know they've got some superficial damage like their faces have been chewed on and you know, they've got body parts missing and stuff. Um, and and they're, they're clearly, you know, dead. They're clearly in the process of decomposing. They also look relatively fresh. And I, I, I just, I, I think he's right about that. I really think he's right about that. And that the implications of that are very interesting world building wise. But the thing that really hit me that I have forgotten about, and I don't know, Again, maybe this is something that I'll see as I go through um, rewatching this, but I don't know if anything quite like this ever comes up again, actually. Um, Morgan's wife. Uh, there, there, is, there is one point at which, you know, she comes up to the door and she's looking at the door. And although later on at the CDC... Uh, what's his face? I, can't, I cannot remember at this point. Explains the the mechanisms by which the virus works and how it basically destroys all of your brain except like the most basic reptile part of it. You know, the part of you that moves you around and, and wants, makes you want to eat. Everything else about you know personality, memory, everything else is gone. But I swear to God, the implication is that there is something still in there because of how she's looking at the door. Like, and maybe you know maybe. Maybe you're just meant to kind of be in Morgan's headspace at that point, and you're meant to, you want to see that, so you see it even if it isn't there. But the thing that really clinched it for me as maybe it's more than that is that, maybe, you mis maybe I misinterpreted that scene, but I went back and I watched it a couple of times to make sure. She tries the door. Like, she seems to remember what door handles are for. And I don't know that we've seen that in a walker since then. And what that indicates is really startling and disturbing because, I mean, what it, what it suggests is that they're not completely gone, at least not initially, that there might still be something in there. There might still be some vestige of the person that that was, even if it's barely there. And, you know, later on uh, in season three, you know, this is one of the things that the governor and is, is testing and trying to establish 
and there it's pretty, you know, the, the conclusion seems to be, no, there's absolutely nothing left of this person after they turn. But it, I think it's really an open question in this episode a bit. It's very subtly open. And I don't think it's open very wide, but I do think it's open because I don't recall seeing another walker knowing what a doorknob's for, but she does seem to know. Or at least part of her seems to remember that you turn a door handle to go through a door and she wants to go through that door. And yeah, and, and, and it does seem like maybe she attaches some significance to that door. I don't know. I don't know. It's a really, it's a, it's a painful, it's, it's another one of those moments where horror and tragedy really mix together in, in a way that's super effective. And I think a lot of, I think a lot of that is just how good Lenny James is. Cause you know, he's fucking spectacular and I'm, I'm so glad we got to see more of him this season. And it's a real treat to see him in this episode and, and kind of be reminded uh, again, just, you know, how far, how far, him and Rick go from season one to season eight and that wonderful moment in this past season where they kind of face each other with recognition of how far both of them have how, how far both of them have come and how really how far both of them have fallen since that first meeting uh yeah so that was that was really that was really cool to see also it, cool and disturbing and I'm not entirely sure what to make of it all right more tea there's, there's a couple of other things that I don't think we've seen come up again. Um, walkers being more active at night. Uh, I don't know if, if we've seen that be a factor again. It's, it's interesting that Morgan mentions the cooler air because if I remember correctly from the Walking Dead games, uh, people are going north because they're hoping that the cold will actually slow the walkers and slow the walkers down and eventually stop them. And I should say I have not played more than season two of that those games, but yeah. Um, that's kind of an interesting little, not contradiction potentially, but it's, there are little bits of world building introduced in this episode that kind of don't really go anywhere after that, as far as I can recall, but, but, but what they suggest about stuff is, is potentially kind of intriguing. And then the, you know, the, the very end, which is where we actually do see some spectacle finally. And it's, it's, it's strange. The last minute or so is strange because this 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 show up until that point has not really kind of Nicotero hasn't really let himself go where the gore is concerned, but in the last three in the in the last you know three two three minutes uh, he really does because then you get to watch you know you get to watch walkers ripping the horse apart and you know ripping the intestines apart and it's you know it's very very gross and. And it's not horrifying. It's just disgusting. And it's this weird, I'm not, again, I'm not faulting it for that. I don't think that that's necessarily a bad step, but it's this weird moment where the whole tone of the show kind of shifts. And it's the same moment where we encounter Glenn, only audio, you know, only audio wise, but we do encounter Glenn. And yeah, it's, um, hmm. I don't know. It's just, it's interesting. It's, again, if I was watching this when it was first broadcast, I would be pretty hooked. It's a, it's a very effective way of, especially if you are familiar with the comics going in and you kind of go, I know who that is. Cause you know, Glenn's kind of a fan favorite. It's a, uh, it's, it's, it's a cool way of, it's a cool way of tossing him in there. I don't, I don't know what I feel about uh, introducing the existence of the Atlanta camp where they did. It's a weird step sideways. It's a weird step sideways. It's kind of a strange way to introduce some of those characters. And I don't know that I actually would necessarily have done it in the first episode. 
I think I might have saved it until the second one, just to kind of keep the sense of isolation and claustrophobia um, intact, you know, because it's one of the things that makes it so effective. All right, I think I think that's that's mostly it regarding my thoughts uh, at this point. Um, I'm I'm really I'm enjoying this. I, I, I it it was it was really enjoyable to, to again to kind of to to kind of see this episode, knowing what I know about where it's going to go, and feeling in such a deep way how different it is in so many respects. There are things here that I miss. You know, I, I miss I miss the horror aspect. I, I, I really like good horror. I like really well done horror. And I, I feel like there's a lot of that here. And although I really like the show for what it is now, I, I miss that. You know, I, I, I miss I miss having that be part of the story. I also miss an urban setting. Just as an aside, I really hope season nine gets away from rocks and trees and rocks and trees and fields and rocks and woods and more trees. I'm just, it's, I'm getting super bored and we're near DC and I'd, I'd like to actually go in and see some of DC, please. For the love of God, Angela, can you write some of that? Thanks. But yeah, there's, it's, um, there's a lot, there's a lot here to like. There's some, there's some stuff that I would consider to be a problem, but there's a lot here to like. Okay, so I'm gonna wrap up for now. Um, gonna go ahead and try and keep doing this Monday to Monday, possibly Tuesdays when I can't quite get myself in gear. Um, I'm still trying to get to the point where I can defend a doctoral dissertation pretty soon. And I'm closing in on that point, so we'll see what my schedule looks like for the next few months. But I'm definitely gonna keep doing this and I'm gonna try and make it a weekly thing. Uh, just real quick, if you're enjoying this, if you want to help me keep doing it, uh, if you want to help me keep doing any of the other stuff that I'm doing, if you enjoy what I do, um, I'm going to Wisconsin at the end of May. If you're going to be in Madison, Wisconsin on Memorial Day weekend and you want to come say hi, or you're going to Wisconsin anyway, hopefully I'll see you there, uh, Wisconsin takes some money. Most of the stuff I do professionally takes some money. This takes some money. So if, if you want to help me out with that, uh, you can go to uh, patreon.com slash dynamic symmetry. Toss me a couple bucks a month. Super helpful. Among other things, you know, it just helps me justify the amount of time I put into stuff like this, which is not inconsiderable. So yeah. Thank you so much for people who have been supporting me that way. Uh, if you prefer not to do that or you can't, right now you're not in a place where you can toss me a couple bucks a month. I totally get it. You know, money's tight everywhere. In that case, what you can do is you can just spread the word about this if you like it, if you know other people who might enjoy it. Tell them about it. Tell them they should listen. Uh, you know, normal caveats that I'm, you know, kind of nuts and I ramble. But yeah, yeah, you know, that's, that's cool too. All right, I'm going to finish my tea. I'm going to go get on with the rest of my day. I'm going to let you get on with the rest of yours. Whatever you're doing, wherever you are, whatever time it is right now, I hope you're doing well. I hope you take care of yourself. And I will speak to you next week. Bye.